and welcome to the Frozen Light Podcast. A podcast aimed at staying in touch with the PMLD community in the age of coronavirus. I'm Amber Onak Gregory, a co-artistic director of Frozen Light. And I'm Lucy Garland, the other co-artistic director of Frozen Light. And Frozen Light make multi-sensory theatre for audiences with profound and multiple learning disabilities that tours to theatres and art centres all across the UK. Due to coronavirus, we are no longer on tour, so we're making a podcast to keep in touch with our communities. However, we are currently, um, and it's currently late July, we are planning to go back into rehearsals in September time. So yeah, we'll let you know how we get along. We are looking at the possibilities of touring at some point in 2021. We are really keen to speak to our audience members about how they might feel about that or what they may want in place uh, in order to access theatre. Get in touch with us at info at frozenlighttheatre.com. Today, we're talking to Christine, who is the founder of Skiggle and also mum to Will and two other daughters. Skiggle is an online community of people and families that can support each other by sharing resources, medical equipment, and they have an SOS service where if you run out of something and it's an emergency, you can put out an SOS and somebody can get back to you, whether that's you run out of feed, you've, you've run out of suction tubes, all sorts of equipment and community supports each other through the sharing of equipment. So let's give Christine a ring now. Hi, Christine. Introduce yourself, please, to the listeners. Yes, um, I'm Christine Singleton. Um, I am a mum of three children. Um, my eldest, Will, is profoundly disabled. He's got uh, complex needs through a brain injury that he suffered uh, when he was born. And then I've got two girls who, one is coming into GCSE years, um, which is not going well with her stress levels. And the other one is basically like me, that you just, just have to get on with it and life is thrown at you and you just take it so yeah that's that's who I am I'm married and uh, I live in a chaotic house so um but you also run Skiggle and I first came across Skiggle in an article in PMLD link and just thought oh my goodness this sounds like an amazing initiative and something that I can't believe hasn't existed before so can you tell us a bit about how the idea for Skiggle came about and a bit about how it developed Skiggle is a originally was set up because of my forgetful mum brain. Um, so we went away on a few days holiday with Will and the family and one of our carers. And we have a fairly large motability vehicle, which was absolutely packed to the rafters with everything that we needed as a family, plus what Will needed, which is a huge amount of stuff. We got to our holiday accommodation and we were unpacking and putting things away as best you can. And we went, where's this feed? 
and everyone looked round. We went, oh, it must still be in the van. So they went out, had a look. They came back. They went, mum, the feed's not here. And I said, oh, no, I've left it at home. We'd driven two and a half hours away from home. So I thought, right, well, we don't really want to get back in the van and drive home for it. So I rang the out-of-hours doctors and um, basically they said, yeah, yeah, we can get you a, a prescription for the feed because it's not something you can ju just bob to a supermarket and collect. And she rang me back three hours later and she said, I'm so sorry. Uh, the options for this are you either drive home or you put Will into a regional children's hospital to get the feed. Will is really vulnerable to infections and all sorts of things. And I, I said, well, that's not an option for us. So my husband got back in the van and drove home. And the feed was exactly where I'd left it. Evening, the, the carer who was with us as well, we all sat down to have dinner. And we were all like, this is just bizarre. That, you know, the only way you can get something is to take your child, who is extremely medically vulnerable, and put them into a hospital situation when they're not actually needing hospital treatment. So that night we all went to bed and the morning after my husband came down and we were sat having breakfast and he said, I've got an idea. There should be somewhere, he said, that you can just send a message like Facebook and say, can you let me have a tub, a carton, uh, whatever, whatever you need. So we Googled it, nothing. We Facebooked it, nothing. There was just nothing out there. So that's where Skiggle came from. We just thought, well, if there's nothing there, I can't be the only forgetful parent or carer who needs something, who's got no option of getting it. And when you actually look into it, there's a lot of people that um, forget things when you go because we've got such a huge amount of things to take with us. And basically, we started it from there. We went off to a university. They made us the website that was our original website and has been tweaked several times since. The non-profit organization we then thought well this should be bigger than just the sos service which is what we developed initially which is where you send out a message to any user and say have you got some feed and so then the the user would have a look in their cupboard and go yes i've got four cartons that you can have because you can't sell anything because you're provided with all this stuff from the nhs you can't profit from it it's not legal to do so so the SOS is where we went originally with it. But then we thought, actually, do you know what? I, as a parent, am given a huge amount of things for Will. So things like continence products. Um, he has a tracheostomy to breathe. So you get tracheostomies and suction catheters. You, you get um, dressings. You get all sorts of different things, feeding equipment. We get a huge amount of stock. I thought, well, do you know what? Each time something changes in Will's life, we are told just to throw those items away. So if you're upsized, as they call it, on a tracheostomy, tracheostomies cost about £150 each, you have a box, it's in a sterile wrapper, it's got an expiry date on it, you look after it because you potentially need to put that into your child. So why can't you pass that on to somebody? And that's where our marketplace came from. I thought, well, if I've got all this stuff that potentially I'm going to put into landfill, which is just not acceptable in my eyes. I'm very big on recycling in my house and my, I'm trying to bring my children up in the, the way that we need to look after our environment. I thought I'm putting a huge amount of unnecessary waste into landfill. And as my smallest daughter says, you're killing a dolphin, mum, and that's not acceptable. And I said, no, absolutely, it's not acceptable. So that's where the marketplace came in, is that 
we then can put on the things we no longer need, which then can be shared around with other parent carers. What we've actually found happening, and I didn't know this because my area seemed quite good on you ask for something, you get it. But if I said, could I have an extra tracheostomy this month because uh, Will's pulling it out or, you know, whatever, you get that extra one. But I found a lot of people in different areas, particularly down south, seems to be um, quite bad is that what we would get maybe two or three of, they're restricted to one or they don't get at all um, or they're made to buy things. And so this is where the marketplace really comes into its own that if I've got excess of, say, three feeding syringes, I can pop those in the marketplace and somebody who doesn't get the supply at all or someone who's short or not had a delivery can go on the marketplace and take them from you. The SOS side was initially where we went. We thought there's going to be a huge market. Actually, the SOS isn't going to be used that often, whereas the marketplace will be used every day. And I mean, today, we've had at least six new members today and it's only 2.30 in the afternoon. So there are people using it all the time, trying to find different things. So that's where it started. And then obviously last August, we worked very hard. And there's only two of us in the charity. There's myself and Helen, who is one of Will's day carers, who's, who work on the charity. And we made a decision that we would try to be a charity. And oh my goodness, that's a test of um, strength and determination and we actually got to be a charity in August of last year in England and Wales where we need to now get to be a charity in Scotland but we don't know if we've actually got the emotional strength to take on Scotland (laughs) so um but yes so now we're a fully fledged charity as well which has taken us onto a whole new level and we're we're doing really well with the charity we're really proud of it I mean, it sounds like a very specialised free cycle type of um, model, which is, you know, and again, free cycle is very, very popular. It's been around a long time. It's a tried and tested model. So it's so great, obviously, because the things that you have on your marketplace are things that you wouldn't come across usually in free cycle. So again, it's so... It's so interesting to hear how bespoke it is. And we, we, in our last podcast episode, we were speaking to Reflect PMLD, who are a day service provider. But the focus with them was, again, all about providing something that was really bespoke for a very specific kind of group of people's access needs. And this feels similar in the sense that it's because it's so specialized, it actually is getting to the people who need it the most. Yes, yeah, and that, that's one thing that we actually um, are potentially struggling with because it's so unique and so bespoke. I don't think people really understand it. So you're programmed all the time to throw everything away. You go into a hospital setting and they just, if it doesn't work, it doesn't fit, it wasn't what they wanted, they just throw it away. So you're programmed into this throwaway culture I think your mindset is I can't share this well I don't see a reason why you can't share it because people have said to me oh well where is it being stored and I think hang on a minute yes I get what you're saying where has it been stored but I'm going to give that to my son I'm going to put that into his body I am not going to leave it out to get wet and disgusting am I or allow the dog to sniff it or whatever it's going to be put in a a place where I know that 
it is clean and sterile and dry and safe to use. So why can't we move these things around? There's absolutely no reason for it. For me, it's very much like any of the other selling sites. If you're going to take something, it is down to you to check that you're happy to use that on your son or daughter or your mother or father or whoever. So recycle, recycle, recycle. That's, that's where I'm going. And free cycle is basically, I think, where my head already goes I free cycle everything I'd free cycle my children if I could get away with it <laughs> maybe not <laughs> um, um my partner's a doctor at the NHS and he talks a lot about waste within the system and again just from an environmentalist point of view how it doesn't make any sense and if he ever goes and does any work abroad again you don't necessarily see that kind of waste in other countries which don't have as many resources as we do here in the UK so again it's an interesting thing to think actually when you have a lot of resources you kind of think that waste is okay it shouldn't be and that's what really sort of um, bugs me because Will as I said is on a specialist speed and I worked out that a year for our family to eat is about two to three thousand pounds for a family of four is what, you know, you can go to the extreme, you can go, and I, I, I kind of averaged it out, you know, including Christmas and all the rest of it. Will's feed for a year is £18,000. That's where you really have to think, actually, that's a lot of money. £18,000 would pay for an intensive care bed and a nurse for 24 hours. That's where it really hits hard. And you think, actually, can we really afford to just throw these items away no you can't we won't have a free nhs if we do continue to throw away like this yeah absolutely and as you say those things are really expensive and they can also help people i think that what you said about like yet being a postcode lottery as well i know it when um my grandma became quite disabled you know we were only allowed a certain number of continence pads she needs more, you know, <laughs> and we couldn't get any more. That, and that, that's what really irritates me. Um, and and it, it shouldn't, because this is not how it should be. So Will has a lot of actual physical equipment, like a, a medical bed and a standing frame and um, a wheelchair and things like that. Now, Everyone who's in the special needs world will be nodding their head going, mm -hmm, yes, and you get told it's too expensive and you can't have this model because that's not within budget. Well, actually, if they didn't throw quite a lot of things away, their pad allocation for people that genuinely need it would go up. We would be allowed, not the all singing, all dancing beds or wheelchairs, but the one that is more suited to our loved one would be accommodated because the money would be being put back in to the service because you're not throwing things away so for instance i had a delivery of milk for will that was clearly somebody else's i'd never even heard of the feed so you wouldn't feed that to him because it doesn't match what he needs and i rang up the delivery company and said oh throw it away so i costed it out and that was just over four grand now, £4,000 is the price of a new bed, which I'm fighting for, for Will. Oh, oh and my it, goodness. All it had done was come out of a delivery van, and I have, a, I have a, a delivery area, if I'm not in, where they can leave it securely, and they'd put it into my secure area, and came back and was like, oh, 
what's that? I wasn't expecting milk delivery. So I rang them and I said, I'm sorry, you, I think you've delivered to the wrong person. They said, yes, it's, it's what we classed as contaminated. And I thought, hang on, <laughs> I've not even touched it. How's it contaminated? And they told me to throw it away. And I thought, well, I'm fighting for a hospital bed for my son, but I can't have it because you haven't got the money. Well, you haven't got the money because you've just told me to throw four grams of feed away. And so you're in that vicious circle. So that's where Skiggle comes in. So the more people that join us as members and whether they use the SOS service or whether they use the marketplace service, you're still doing your part to recycle. You're still doing your part to actually make the community for the people with disabilities better. We all need to unite. And I think that COVID has clearly separated the community. I think there's been a very hard line drawn between us and we now as a disability community have to pull together and go actually we need to do something about this and take some responsibility for your actions really and and that's not saying that we're all um throwing stuff away unnecessary it's because we're told and we're programmed now to do that where do people find you where where's the best place to reach skiggle and um, so our main place is skiggle.co.uk so that's the website now on the website you can find what we do why we do it our blogs because we're doing um, monthly blogs now um, which has been uh, something that I think is quite a good way of downloading how you're feeling at the moment and even my daughter um, my latest blog was my daughter was reading over my shoulder and she's written a blog uh, we have a Facebook page as well, um, which is Chat and Support, which you're welcome to join and talk to us on. We also have an Instagram page. Um, we also have a Twitter page. And we've just opened up a YouTube channel, um, which is going to be Will's Journey. So it'll have little adventures for him and things like that. I think you would like the YouTube uh, channel. We had um, a lady who sung Will Hallelujah. It's one of his favourite songs and she actually made him a personalised message and sang to him over uh, a video link, which is very special to Will. So we play that a lot. You've mentioned COVID and we're recording this on the 22nd of July. A lot of the country has started to come out of lockdown. Can you tell us a bit about what your lockdown looks like? Your latest blog post talks about being reunited with your daughters and husband after 84 days, having made the challenging decision to separate as a family on the 12th of March. So where are you guys at now? On the 12th of March was when Prime Minister Boris Johnson said, we're going to lose some loved ones. And we were all sat having dinner at the time and everyone just looked at each other and we went, not in this house, we're not. And we made the decision then that the girls and my husband, because they were still at school and at work, were going to move in with family. So they actually moved in with family. They only came home uh, four weeks ago. And that was, I think, one of the toughest decisions we've had to make as a family um, because when you have someone as medically complex as will the slightest cold can fling you into intensive care with pneumonia that that's the, the top and bottom of it this is not being flippant about it you know people will go oh i've just got a bit of a cough i'll come around for a coffee and i'm like no absolutely not you stay away and once you're clear you come 
So to make the decision with COVID, it was a silent killer is how we said at home. And as my girl said, you know, we are going to lose Will at a very early age. I mean, as I said, he will be 17 um, soon. But every year there's been a battle to get into that. So why would you put him in danger with COVID that nobody knew anything about? When we first started out on the COVID journey in, in March, even the health people had no idea. So to, to make the decision, we talked to all the care team, because Will has a care team. We talked to the care team, we talked to the family. It was decided that they would move away and they would go and live with family, which, which was incredibly hard. It was absolutely dreadful. To um, pack my girls' clothes in the suitcase and... Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, we can't even imagine the, the, the situation that you're, you're put in when you've got to, you know, send yeah. two of your children away for the sake of another one of your children. I think the worst thing for me was packing their suitcases and actually not knowing when they were going to come home. You know, this was potentially, if anything happened to Will, that was going to be the last day they saw him. And that sits so heavily on your shoulders because you're, you're genuinely thinking, gosh, you know, this could just end our family of five instantly, couldn't it? And I think that was the worst bit for me. Me personally, I mean, I've done the long hospital stays with Will. You know, nine weeks in intensive care is, is just one of the normal things that you do. But this was to divide our family and potentially them not see Will again. And that takes a lot to get into your head, really. And I have to say that we have the most amazing care team here. So we, we have um, three night carers and we have three day carers. And we talked to all the care team and two of our day team had to step out because um, one, <laughs> one was working in the community. So she works as a, a support worker. So she was still at work supporting. So she made the decision before we actually said anything to take that step back. So that Again, so we'd had the blow with the family separating. Then, then she said, I can't come to work, Christine. It's putting too much risk for Will. I said, fine. And then um, we had another blow, uh, literally about 10 days in, I couldn't believe it, that one of my night carer's daughter was um, possibly diagnosed with a brain tumour. So we were kind of like, A, it was a shock because this little girl had got potentially a life-threatening illness and also it took out a carer instantly now with will he's a very much a creature of habit everything is in routine because if you knock out his routine it takes him days to recover he, he can't he can't pick himself up that easily so we lost two carers really quickly and will didn't see them they just disappeared from the, the care team so he'd lost his his dad his sisters and two carers. That was that was five people within ten days. And I know that 
um, he does suffer with his mental health. You know, if we're away from home in hospital, you can see him declining. But this hit him really hard. And you're talking about a child who he has got understanding and you know he's got understanding, but his understanding isn't necessarily as good as ours. So to explain to him that, you know, <laughs> one of the carer's daughters had potentially a brain tumour, because I told him, because I tell him everything, because just in case he does understand, that's fine. Um, and then I said, the other, the other carer can't come because she's still working with all the people outside and she needs to make you feel safe. And he was like, oh, okay, I get, I get it. But to, to not have his dad and his sisters when he probably needed the most was really difficult for him, really difficult. And I think our journey through COVID has been, um, you think you're doing okay. <laughs> and, and then it's like being hit by a train and you think, goodness me, how do I get myself through that next day? And um, Because today's been really tough. And we have managed it. And I think the care team have been able to support each other. So I, I'm part of the care team. And, um, you know, a day where I was perhaps having a, a particularly bad day, uh, Mother's Day was really hard. I didn't like that. Then the other carers would go, oh, it's all right, you know, we'll, we'll do. And, you know, and then they would maybe go down and have maybe a bad day. And, and it, was, it was a cycle. And I don't think we're out of it because I can't come out of lockdown with Will until the end of August. That's what I've been advised. So I've basically been in the house and the garden with Will since the 12th of March and not set foot out of there. So it's been tough. <laughs> it has been tough. But I think the, the COVID journey has also showed strength. It showed that you, you think you can't, but actually you can. And if you can still have a laugh, which we have, um, and tears, which we have, and the days where I'm not at my best and I look like um, I might shout at somebody, the carers have no <laughs> to just <laughs> hide. Um, <laughs> it's shown strength that I didn't know that Will had and I didn't know that I had. And I think the COVID journey for a lot of people has probably shown different sides to themselves. And I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned, I've learned patience, which um, I'm probably not the most patient of people. So I've learned patience. And I think the COVID journey has just been an exceptional one to go on in a lot of ways. And if we can come out of this as a full care team, a full family, we've done exactly what we needed to do. And your husband and daughters are back with you now? Yes, and, and Will's hating it because he's having to share. Um, <laughs> he's, he's got quite, um, quite used to being on his own, so then coming back and demanding mum time and, you know, and, and I'm busy doing other things now and he's kind of like, uh, mum would normally and I'm not doing that now so he's having to share and he's not he is very good at sharing but I think after three months on his own he's kind of gone like this only child thing it's quite quite good <laughs> so yeah and you said that you received advice to shield until the end of August where's that come from is that through kind of your personal clinicians or is that kind of general advice that you've had just because everyone we've been interviewing for the podcast has had such a range of advice or no advice yeah I was gonna say a lot of people I've talked to have had no advice which is really scary no so basically all of Will's consultants uh, we've had a huge amount of um, interaction with our consultants because um, the NHS have actually done really good on the video calls which I'm thrilled about 
because they've not they've not abandoned me I, th I think a lot of people feel abandoned but my consultants ring me at least fortnightly to three weeks to see how he's doing because he's so medically complex they don't just take their finger off the pulse but initially they said the shielding would end at the end of July and the R rating was just tinkering, wasn't it? It wasn't just coming down as far as they thought it was going to do. And then the R rating stayed and plateaued for a while. And they, they all came back to me going, okay, can you do another month? And I said, yeah, that's fine. I'll do another month. Well, once you've done four, you may as well carry on, might you? And so they said the end of August, but we're going to reevaluate that again um, because he's got a very low um, immune system. So why would you risk going out too soon um so i i don't think the end of august is necessarily the end of this i think you know we're coming into well, i crudely call it snot season but um that's that's where i think the consultants definitely the respiratory consultants and the tracheostomy the nt people are all saying if people can if people can wear their masks which some people are going i don't want to well that's just a bit selfish in my opinion but there you go um if people wear masks and protect themselves then i feel i can protect will by him having his face mask on he has a tracheostomy covering so i've got him the best protection i possibly can and then i can bring him out into society but at the moment if people are not prepared to wear face coverings then I have to think is it safe for him at this time yeah I, and I think that's the big question facing all our families that we we've spoken to and it's such an impossible horrible decision to have to make tell us have there been any new things that you and Will have done together during lockdown quite a lot actually so um Will has done some absolutely fantastic times with um the music videos he as I say we've had people sing him songs and things so he's really loved listening to those and really his genre of music is quite extreme so he loves a bit of classical he loves a bit of hard rock so he's he's absolutely loved watching music videos so i've been youtubing music videos for him to watch and things like that so he's really got into his music the other things that he's um enjoyed is just basically catching up on his films and things because his sisters often take the remote and say, no, no, we're not watching that. And so he never gets to watch what he actually wants to watch. So he's caught up on a lot of films that he'd like to watch um, and musicals. He loves musicals. But also, he's, I mean, one thing that I've learned is um, that hair dye is not important or a haircut. <laughs> And he's had to get used to that, um, whereas I'm cutting his hair. So I, uh, as a previous job before I started running the charity, used to be a dog groomer. So I've had to bring out my dog grooming skills and um, Will presently <laughs> has a haircut that any dog groomer would be proud of. So um, <laughs> we've, learned, we've learned to do that. So Will's quite shocked at the moment because I said to him the other day, you look like you've just escaped from prison. So, <laughs> well, that's, well, that's it. So we've learned lots of things and we've learned to think out of the box. You know, playtime is different than it was because we've had to wear full PPE. So we've had face shields on, so there's no getting really into Will's face because you've got to stand back all the time. So we've learned to think out of the box, but also we've, we've learned that we can read each other better emotionally because we've not been able to do kisses or cuddles because I am a risk to Will as well as Will being a risk to me. 
So there's been no cuddles and no kisses. And we've now got a way that we can do cuddles and it's called leg hugs. So he, we just hug his legs and he thinks it's great. And so that's going to be our new thing now that we don't actually do kisses and cuddles. We do leg hugs instead. And he thinks it's brilliant. I mean, I love the sound of a leg hug. This is great. I think this should be adopted as a form of physical affection globally. I love it. It's brilliant. You might get an odd look, though, if you did that in the supermarket, wouldn't you? So, <laughs> but it's just, you know, you can't go near a tracheostomy because of the virus. So we've had to adapt and go different. So leg hug it was. Yeah. Yeah. And what, and what a brilliant way um, to adapt. You've spoken already a bit about how you felt supported through Will's consultants throughout this time, which is really great because, again, that is a, something different from what we've heard from some of our previous guests. But we have had, heard time and time again from people that they have felt very isolated during this time. And as a PMLD community, people have felt quite forgotten. What other kinds of support do you think could have been useful for you guys as a family and will at this time that you may have not received? Um, I think, you see, I've been very lucky that in my support and I, I've heard some horrendous things from people and how it is isolating, but I, I set myself into a very different place. And I think um, having done 17 years of Will's life, where I've spent weeks and weeks and weeks on my own in hospital, you learn to get used to the isolation. You shouldn't have to get used to the isolation, but you do learn to live with that isolation. So I've been actually really fine. And because my carers have been coming and going, which I am extremely lucky, by the way, on that, because most care companies just pulled all care from people. And so they had no support at all. Now, we actually... Um, have been very lucky that I've only lost two carers, one because she couldn't help um, her daughter was quite poorly and she hasn't thankfully got a brain tumour, I forgot to say that. Um, she, she had to step out um, and she's, I mean, she's worked with Will 11 years so she was a huge person to go um, and then the other one was taken out for her commitment with work. Now for me, I felt completely supported and I've not felt lonely at all my outreach nurse has been um, fantastic. She was actually pulled out of my service because she is um, a paediatric um, outreach nurse, but she's also trained in intensive care. So obviously all the people that were trained in that had to be pulled to the intensive cares. Um, so I lost her. Now she's my absolute sounding board. Before you get to a consultant, I always, I bob her a text and I'll say, this has happened. Can you help? And she, even going through the ICU, she'd bob me a text and go, how are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm okay, I'm fine, yeah. And then I said, oh, I need to get this into hospital. She'd go, oh, come and pick it up on my way past. And she would just go that extra mile and just help me. So I don't feel unsupported in that way. The one thing that's been the most stressful with support, and other people have definitely felt this like I have felt it, is we... Me particularly, for, for Will, I've had relentless phone calls asking for equipment back. Um, so they wanted to take... Um, Will is on a, an oxygen concentrator because he forgets to breathe at night. So it's, he has continual oxygen. And they've asked for my oxygen concentrators back um, to provide for the intensive care departments. 
they also told me that um, I have two feeding pumps for Will because he's, hon- he's uh, fed via a gastrointestinal tube. So he's fed into his top end of his bowel because of other complications he's got. So I have two feed pumps, which I run simultaneously. And they asked, they basically said, you can't have two. You need to give us one of those back. I didn't. I said, no, not, not in your life. Um, I was told that tracheostomies, which we change every week for infection. So I've done that since he's had his tracheostomy, which was 2008. All of a sudden, I had to prolong the life for up to a month. And I was like, mm, hang on a minute. So you just decided to change it. Then he has suction catheters. I got told that my deliveries wouldn't be coming. We had to downsize on our tracheostomies or not have any at all. Now, I know this has happened to other people. Well, these are life-saving things. You can't go, oh, okay, then we'll not bother having that. It's not like not having potatoes for your dinner. This is real life-saving equipment that was being withdrawn. And I know why it was being withdrawn, because it was all being stored in what they call the super hubs. And the super hubs are warehouses throughout the UK that the hospitals, so the NHS Trust, can just dip into and pick anything out of. PPE, what a nightmare that was. We basically, we were, that's the side we, I was forgotten on, me personally, in my journey. To get a box of gloves, I was told, no, you can't have any gloves. Okay, so I've had gloves. We suction James with gloves for infection risk. And all of a sudden they say you don't need them. Why don't you need them? You know, how, how can you just change something that you've said for ever to all of a sudden just fit your way of thinking and what you've been told? It's all up a government. So Matt Hancock on the news will say, yes, PP, you can come, you can have this, you can do this, that and the other. And the next one was just a closed door. And it was forget about the disabled people at home, the carers, the, the parent carers, you're not important. And I think for me what happened was the NHS got first pull, obviously. The second pull was because the nursing homes all got really cross and angry and wrote into the government saying this is unacceptable. They then got second pull on PPE. And us at home were just completely forgotten, just completely forgotten. And you can't get... um, I mean, if, if I had to go and buy some gloves now off... Well, prior to COVID, off a website like gloves for us or whoever you would be paying between three and five pounds for a box of gloves if that's including that you go to any of these sites either there's no stock available for you or you're paying up to 25 pounds for a box of gloves so a why are we not being supplied them because we need them and don't tell me that the nhs whoever orders our stock doesn't get a container load of these of 50 or 60 thousand boxes Or why have the government not stepped in and said there's got to be a cap on gloves? I know this is all about business and profiteering. I get that. used to be a businesswoman. But we need help in that. We've got to protect our loved ones and they left us high and dry. And it sounds like, you know, the support that you had and the support that you got was that kind of localised support. People who knew you, people who knew Will, whether kind of like carers at home or medical professionals people who knew your case you were able to rely on that support but anything that was kind of from a bigger systemic point of view is what was taken away and it's just you know for someone who has kind of created uh, a charity in supporting and sharing 
this medical equipment and much needed things. It's just horrific that when you actually need something that then that's being taken away from you, kind of ironic given everything that you've given to so many other people, isn't it? Like they were going to take, was oxygen, what were they going to do? I know, I know, but it's, it's basically taking away the physical, physiological rights, isn't it, of a human being, because you're taking away an air and you're taking away a bead. And, uh, and as Helen said one day, because I, I just sat one day when I'd had, I think I'd had four or five phone calls and it was back to back. And I just thought, Do you know what, I'm not in the mental state to keep answering the phone at this point. They'd rung for my oxygen machine. They'd rung twice for my feed pumps and almost, not got nasty, but it was almost like, no, no, you need to give it to us back now. Um, then I got told about my tracheostomies and I just sat and I put my head in my hands on the kitchen table and Helen went, you all right? And I said, no. I said, I'm not all right. I said, what are they doing? I said, and she said, well, basically, they're just accommodating a hospital for people that aren't yet sick, aren't they? And I went, Oh, yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. And I know there was this huge panic around the COVID situation because we've never ever been in this situation before where they had to get the beds and they had to get the ventilators and all the rest of it. But they literally went, bang, stop everything else. Well, we still have to live. On that note, are there any changes that you hope will support people with, with profound and multiple learning disabilities in the future influenced by this time in lockdown? Yes, I think that um we as as a disability community and people with disabilities in the future need to work together we've not solidly been working together i think we have all been battling our separate battles and what we need to do is we need to come together and we need to fight the war which has been left out of things society don't believe that we're important um, and I think that that COVID for me has put a very dark line straight down the middle. Able-bodied people who have no reason to be upset by the COVID and they carry on with their normal life and are quite cross that they can't go to Spain on holiday. And then there's us, <laughs> which are the disabled community. And I think now this should bring everybody together with a disability to show our strength of who we are as human beings, show that we've got the battle scars, we've got the war wounds, we've been through a journey and we've come out of the other side and we should all be united with each other to ensure that no one is left behind. I know we can't leave our homes because we're vulnerable, but like I'm talking to you today, the social media, no one should be left behind now. We should all be united. Yeah, and that's what we hope to achieve a little bit of with this podcast, just getting people's voices out there because we're aware that our audience and, and the community that we usually work with were being forgotten and, and ignored. And then, like you say, you know, people with PMRD are so invisible anyway, and then especially even more so when you're locked in your homes. Well, we, we love Skiggle and the idea behind Skiggle, and we will put all the information about that on our show notes so should you need that and if there's anything we can do to support Skiggle on our tour well hopefully when we can tour again journeys around the UK um do let us know but it's been brilliant talking to you Christine thank you very much for your time well thank you so much Christine that was a really really insightful episode 
and we really appreciate your generosity in talking to us about your family's experience during this really, really challenging time. Yeah, and your honesty about what it's, what it's like to, to go through this. And I really think that that will help support other families hearing, hearing those stories. I think, you know, making that decision to split your family, to protect someone in your family really is such a powerful message about the power of love and family. And it was really incredible to hear about everything that you've been through with that. But also I loved learning more about Skiggle, what an amazing initiative. Yeah, super cool. And just how it fits so well with, with environmentalism. You don't necessarily always see the learning disability sector and the environmental sector kind of going together hand in hand. So it was re really, really cool. It felt very, very different from anything I'd come across before. And like a really supportive network for families who may have things that, that they can share or things that they need and people that can support them in getting it. I, I thought it was really great. Yeah, so do check out our show notes. We will put all the details about Skiggle in them. And it just sounds like the bigger the community is, the more successful it will be. Also, guys, I mentioned it last week, but please do check out BOP on the Wire, which is Birds of Paradise says podcast it's a podcast that interviews disabled artists in scotland hosted by robert softly gale and jack hunter so do check it out so thank you for listening to us today you can listen to the podcast at www.frozenlighttheatre.com forward slash podcast or all the usual places you get your podcasts please do rate review and subscribe you can get us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Frozen Light Theatre, on Twitter at Frozen Theatre, and on Instagram at Frozen Light Theatre. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.